reason, one of the reasons we do this fifth Sunday is because there are lots of metaphors and illustrations in the Bible about what the church is. One of them is that we are a bride of Christ. Another one is that we are a field or a flock, like a sheep. Um, but one of my favorites, actually there's two that are my favorites. One is that we're a body. We're dependent on one another for life, health, and flourishing. But the one that the Bible uses over and over and over is that the church is a family. And that means we belong to one another. There's unity, there's love, there's familiarity. Um, and those things are all important. And sometimes it's hard to see that. To be honest with you, that auditorium that we meet in, it swallows us up. It's so vast. It's so big. And I long for the day, Lord willing, that we'll have our own place that we can have a room kind of like this where we can do church together, do life together. But until we do, it's good to have a reminder. So every fifth weekend that we have in the year, we do this. Um, I wanted to have it inside today to spare us the humidity of, of the sweat. I know I'm, I'm a country boy. I'm from Arkansas, but I'm a weed too. So when it gets closer to the fall months, we'll do it outside again. I have today some helpers that are going to help me read the scripture, okay? So I want to ask them to come up, if they will at this time. Ethan, Noah, Hannah, and Jackson. If you guys come on up, they're going to help me read. The scripture in the English Standard Version is on the back of your bulletin. But they're going to read from a book that we use with our children's ministry here. And if you have children and you don't have this, but to be honest with you, even if you don't have children, did I just say if you don't have children? <laughs> if you have children and don't have this book, I highly recommend it for devotions, just for letting your kids read when they're old enough. It's amazing. The art's amazing. But to be honest with you, even if you don't have kids, I read this sometimes. If the story I'm preaching on is in here, sometimes I get lost in the leaves and need to just zoom out and look at the forest. And this is a real big picture book because the whole Bible is about Jesus and it reminds us of that in every story. So I'm going to have them read this and then we're going to spend a little bit of time in, in the scriptures. We have some amazing food over here, but, but a better food for us. Uh, and I'm a flawed chef. I'll be the first one to tell you. I just want to get the food to you without dropping it or spilling it. This is food for our souls. Amen? Amen? So they're going to help us read this. You can follow along in the ESV version if you want to. Um, oh, you brought your own coffee. Very good. I think what I'm going to do, can we share your coffee? Because I'll, I'll never find it. I think I'm just going to let them hold the microphone or maybe I'll hold it for you. Okay, Noah has the first. He's up first. And here I take You have a, if you have your own story Bible and want to follow along, it's on page 48, I think. 48. So these are your pages, correct? Hold that, and I'll hold the microphone for you. How's that work? All right, here we go. Noah Carnival. Noah and his family were from the land, and his children had children, and those children had more children, and then those children had even more. Well, you get the picture. Until there were lots of people on earth once more. Now back then, everyone spoke exactly the same language, so you didn't even need to learn Swahili or Japanese or anything, because you could say hello to anyone, and they knew what you meant. One day, everyone was talking, and they came up with, a, with an idea. Let's build ourselves a beautiful city to live in. It can be our home, and we'll be safe forever and ever. And then they had another idea. Let's build a really tall tower to reach up to heaven. Anna, you have the next one. Here you go. 
Yes, they said. We'll say, look at us up here, and everyone will look up at us, and we'll look down on them. And then we'll know we are something. We'll be like God. We'll be famous and safe and happy, and everything will be all right. So they got to work. Brick by brick, the tower grew higher and higher until it soared above the city, touching the sky. They built stairs in the tower to climb up to the top. It was like a giant staircase to heaven. Look, they cheered, we're the ones. See what we can do with our very own hands? They were quite, they were quite pleased with themselves, but God wasn't pleased with them. God could see what they were doing. They were trying to live without him, but God knew that wouldn't make them happy or safe or anything. If they kept on like this, they would only destroy themselves. And God loved them too much to let that happen, so we stopped their plans. One morning they went to walk as usual, but everything was different. The world was new and funny. You see, God had given each person a completely different reason. Suddenly, no one understood what everyone, what anyone else was saying. Someone will say, how do you do? And the other person thought they said, how ugly are you? It wasn't funny. You could be saying something nice, because something nice, because they thought you, and you get a punch in the nose because they thought you said, hush up, you're boring. You can even say, Paul, check if you told. It wasn't easy to work together. After that, as you can, only imagine people always quarreling and fighting and getting into a dreadful muddle, muddle and becoming grumpier and grumpier until at last they were all too far to keep on building and just had to stop. After that, the people scattered all over the world, which is how we ended up with so many different languages to this day. You see, God knew however high they reached, however hard they tried, people could never get back to, the, to heaven by themselves. People didn't need a staircase. They needed a rescuer because the way back to heaven wasn't a staircase, it was a person. People could never reach up to heaven, so heaven would have to come down to them. And one day it would. with this story here. This is, uh, I titled this sermon, Building a Life Without God, because I, I, I believe that's what the scripture is teaching us here. It's about us, it's about God, uh, and it's about godlessness too. And I think it's really easy sometimes to distance ourselves from this event and to think, man, goodness, I could never do anything like that. I, I've even had children's Bibles that had these people painted like barbarians and they had sharp teeth and slanted eyebrows. And that doesn't help. That's not helpful because the Bible is, is uh, we should see ourselves in this story. You know? We should. We're flawed too. 
profoundly flawed and we need rescue just like they did. The way that we build our lives without God may look a little bit different than this story, but we all have our own bricks and our own mortar, uh, and if left to ourselves, that's exactly what we'll do. And I have an illustration to maybe help you see what this might look like in, in the modern age. Uh, in 1981, thousands of people began to flock to Wasco. <laughs> it sounds like Elmer Fudd, doesn't it? <laughs> maybe it's Wasco, I don't know. It's Wasco uh, County in the middle of Oregon, literally in the middle of nowhere. Tens of thousands of people were flocking there, and they were building a city. I mean, this was literally in the middle of the desert. The nearest town had 40 people, and it was called Antelope. So all these people started coming, and they were dressed really strange. They all wore orange or red. They had beards. They looked like hippies or granola people. They were minding their own business, and they got to work. And they started building a city, a huge city. Um, and people really began to laugh. And they think, who are, who are these hippies? Who do they think they are? But then when they saw the kind of manpower they brought, they had architects, they had engineers, they had lawyers, they had city planners. And they were building this amazing city. They built a dam, reservoir. They built their own power utility plant. They paved roads. They built amazing uh, recreational centers and facilities. They had their own police force. Eventually, this was incorporated into a city. And they had their own leadership and their own government. And it was called uh, Rajneesh Puro. And they followed a spiritual guru from India, and his name was Bhagwan. And they boasted and they said, we are going to show the world what life should really look like. How peaceful it is, how powerful we are as people when we unite. So they had a lot of unity, they had a lot of ambition, and really this was a spiritual religious thing. There was worship there. But, not very soon after that city was built, there was suspicion, there was attempted murder, there was a salmonella food poisoning, 751 people were infected. There was unlawful, illegal wiretapping, so there was paranoia, there was suspicion, and eventually some of the people were arrested and they were deported, even from America. Some of them had to spend time in jail. And you have to ask the question, why? What happened? This was, this was unity, this was ambition, this was worship. It was supposed to be a peaceful place to show what humanity is really capable of, but it tanked. And you have to ask your, yourself the question, what happened? They seemed to have everything in that city except for one thing. You know what it was? You know what was missing? God was. That's right. And a lot of the times, if we're honest and we look at we look at life in general, sometimes we reflect on our own life. We have unity. We have ambition. We want to be invincible. We want to be significant. But so often, if you dig, peel back the layers. God is nowhere in those plans. It's like James chapter four says, "Come now, let us go." such and such a city, spend a year there and make profit. And James rebukes the reader and he says, you ought to say, let us do this and that and live if the Lord wills, right? So this whole story, everything in this story, um, this, was, this was a literal, this happened. This is historical. Everything happened in this story. And this is meant, I think, to remind us what we're capable of and where we'll actually naturally drift if God were to take his hands off of us. So let's look at these things. Um, Point by point. Number one, godless unity. This is the whole earth. The, the, the phrase, the whole earth, is mentioned five different times in this story. What's it telling us? Sin is ubiquitous. It was everywhere. Everyone was affected. This was a global thing. Not very long after God rescued the entire world, eight people in, a, in an ark, uh, they started to repopulate. Sin took over. Um, before we see what they did, um, 
I want us to see what they were supposed to do because Genesis chapter 9 verse 1 says that God blessed the family, Noah, and he gave them a very strategic and specific command. He said, spread out all over the earth, colonize, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, just like the original plan was for Adam and Eve. So what did they do? They were supposed to scatter and colonize. But what did they do? They gathered together on the plains of Shinar, and they decided, you know what? We're all united here. We're, we're really special. Forget the whole colonization thing. We don't want to do that. We don't want to spread out everywhere. We want to unite. And we want to build this amazing city uh, and make a name for ourselves. And we want to build a tower. So there's, first of all, there's tremendous unity here. The whole earth is together. They speak one language. It's really interesting to me that, that Genesis doesn't answer all of our questions. But haven't you ever wondered, why do we have... What was it, Sarah, you were telling me? Are there 3,000 different dialects today? Or something like that? That's okay. I think that was Wikipedia. Yeah. There's a lot of different languages represented. And you got to ask the question, where do they all come from? You know, I'd like to see Google answer that. Because we got the answer right here. Why do we all speak different languages? Because God acted. God doesn't react. God acts. He responded to this. And part of the judgment was he didn't destroy the people. He destroyed their work. And it was an act of mercy. But he sent them all over the face of the globe to do what he originally commanded them to do. Because God knows when a bunch of sinners conglomerate in one place, it's not going to be good. So God knows his people, even though they're flawed and sinful, and he spread them out. So there is a lot of unity here. And I know that the world values unity. And we should value unity too. But unity with God at the center. Because if God is not at the center, uh, that unity is going to lead to a very bad place. From, uh, from poets to politicians, here's a few quotes about unity. Check this out. When human beings unite, nothing can stop them. That's, there's some truth to that, but the question you have to ask is this. Stop them from doing what? What is it people want to do when they unite? Is it a good thing usually? I'll let you be the judge of that when you look around. Secondly, here's another quote. Unity is strength. Where there is teamwork and collaboration, wonderful things can be achieved. But what's the question? What wonderful things? What things are we talk about here? Here's the third one. Where there is unity, there is always victory. Okay, so if there's victory, that means there's also defeat. What are we defeating? What are we setting out to conquer here? So unity without God is always a terrible idea. And there's a lot of unity here. You can imagine there's no language barrier. Anybody ever been, whether it was on a mission trip or not, have you ever been in a context where you had to get a translator? Man, you feel the Bible phenomenon, don't you? It's hard. I, I mean, I catch myself trying to do sign language. Sarah and I had neighbors when we lived in uh, California, and they did not speak a lick of English. And I caught my wife out front one day. She needed an egg. And I guess she was too lazy to go to the store or something. No, she had little kids. <laughs> it's a little bit different back here in the back. So she was trying to explain to her neighbor, to our neighbor, that she needed an egg. I mean, have you ever just tried to simply... Uh, Communicate simply to somebody. He said, no, 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 no. And she said, egg. He said, no, 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 understand. And she said, it was really funny. Uh, the Bible phenomenon is very powerful. You see it all over the place. Uh, God, God had to act. But there was no, no barriers here. No cultural barriers, no language barriers. They had one tongue, one voice. So surely what they're going to do is noble and commendable and righteous, but it's not. Um, they were supposed to scatter and make a name for God. Instead, they wanted to fortify, glorify, and make a name 
for themselves. And, and we, did, we see this all throughout history. The United Nations, how has that gone? I'm not saying there's everything they did is terrible, but what they were supposed to do was, was you know, stop wars from happening. How they doing with that? How did that work? It didn't fine because God's not at the center of that. He's not at the center of that. Even these ecumenical movements that are supposed to uh, be religious and help everybody unite and understand one another better, it's not, that doesn't work. Why? Because Christ is not at the center of that. Some of the rankest heresy comes out of some of those councils. You can't get every religion together and expect it to go well. It's not going to happen. Unity without God leads to discord and division and destruction. And I guess the most graphic example of this, you remember the, the Jews and the Romans, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and the scribes all got together one time in history. You know what they got together to do? Crucify Christ. That's unity. That's true unity, but Christ is not at the center. So I guess it's not really true unity when you think about it. But the whole earth was together, and they had one voice, and they had one tongue, but it was a godless unity. Point two, I'm going to go fast here, because we want to get to the food, and we have children, but I want to tell you something. None of these kids bothers me, guys. So don't, I know people freak out, they're like, oh goodness, this is embarrassing. I've got, I've got six kids. Don't be embarrassed. I, I love this. I love this. And hopefully they'll get something out of this too. So, here we go. Point number two. Godless unity was point one. Godless ambition is point number two. Godless ambition. What was it that they wanted to do? What did they want to build? They wanted to build a city, right? I mean, that takes a lot of work. You heard the illustration earlier, uh, Rajneesh Purim, for all those people to come together. That takes a lot of uh, collaboration and effort. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty ambitious plan, but Christ was not, God was not, at the center of their plans. Why, why did they want to build the city anyway? Have you ever thought about this? What was so wrong about what they wanted to do? Why did people build cities? What, what does a city provide? Have you ever thought about that? What's that? Community? Yes. It also provides an identity. It provides security, some notoriety. You know what? Where I'm from, you know where everybody went? They went to Nashville, fine, to make a name for themselves. That's a big city, lots of opportunity, creative juices flow, your pressure to network, to compete, to learn. You can go there and make a name for yourself. You, you can get an identity and, and put your name out there. Uh, cities are safe places, right? You know why a lot of homeless people go to the city? Because there's refuge there. Even in the Old Testament, God commanded that there be built cities of refuge so that people that were innocent of a crime, but they hurt somebody and the family would want to retaliate, they could flee there and find safety. So cities are supposed to be safe places, are they? Let me ask you that. Are, are big cities the safest place in the world to be? Uh, no. no. You're not going to want to be going to, to go to a city to find shelter because you're not going to find it there. kind you're looking for places for corruption and violence and drugs, prostitution, trafficking of every kind. Why is that? Why? Because Christ is not at the center of that. Um, do you see the deception there? Cities are supposed to provide security, identity, invincibility, but because of sin, they're not able to provide that. So what was the big deal with them wanting to build a city? They were trying to make for themselves what Jesus, what God had already promised them. In fact, it's really interesting. If you turn to the very next chapter, chapter 12, God is talking to Abraham. You see how people do, how people want to make a name for themselves? They do it their way. They build and they glorify themselves. And listen to God. He came to Abraham. He said, I will make you a great nation. Forget city. We're going nation here, Abram. I'll make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. 
Do you see the difference? See the contrast? We're going to make a name for ourselves. And God says, uh, that ain't going to work. That's never going to work. When you try to do something for yourselves apart from God, it's going to crumble. It's going to collapse. God's way is different. He says, how about this? How about I come and make a name for you? And I bless you and build a nation and I'll honor you. See, God's way is always better. You lose so much when we try to do things our own way. Godless unity, godless ambition, and that's the way it works. And again, I want to go back to this. Did you know that the Jews had a silly interpretation of this, of this passage? The Jews did. They believed that, they had a legend that the plan for the Tower of Babel was carried out by 600,000 men who worked steadily for 43 years, and the tower reached a height of nine miles, and it took a year to hoist up fresh building materials at the top. Isn't that crazy? How'd they come up with that? Here's a quote from that legend. They never slackened in their work. From their dizzying height, they constantly shot arrows toward heaven, which returning were seen to be covered with blood. They were thus fortified in their delusion, crying out, We have slain everyone in heaven. Now here's my here's what I, why I think the Jews would come up with an interpretation like that. Because it made them feel a lot better about themselves. You read this story and you're like, they're crying out loud. I'm just trying to live my life here. I'm not shooting arrows up at heaven. <laughs> you know, those, those people are rebellious and they're wicked. But let me ask you a question. If I were to ask you this, what defines a wicked person? What are they thinking of? How might you answer that? Because the Bible does answer it. Check this out. Check this out. Psalm chapter 10, verse 4. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Another translation says this, In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Now maybe that hits closer to home because I can tell you, that characterizes my life up until I was 22 years old. Me, 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 me. I wasn't shooting arrows up into heaven, but I can tell you this, I was a rebel and I was rivaling God for his own glory. I was. I was a glory thief. My whole life was about me. I was building my life without God. No different than any of the people that we read about in this story. One of the most revolutionary things Jesus ever said that misses, escapes a lot of people's notice, in Luke 17, he was talking about his return. He says, when the Son of Man comes, it'll be just like it was in the days of Noah and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you expect this description that's like, there was rapists, there was polygamy, there was all these things that probably were taking place. But do you remember the description that Jesus gave? He said they were marrying, they were giving in marriage, they were building, they were planting, they were eating their food, and they were going on about their life. And you're like, that's it? That doesn't sound that bad, but that is. That's the essence of wickedness. It's living your life totally ignoring God. God is relegated to the peripheral. He's a side note in your life. Maybe you give Him honorable mention, but you're living life for yourself at the end of the day. That's a godless ambition. Can anybody here identify? That should be all of our pre-conversion testimonies. I had godless unity with other people. You know what you have in common? Your sin, maybe, or some hobby. But look how God responds. This is what's amazing about this. These people are building this tower, and I'm sure it was impressive. I'm sure it was tall. I don't know if it was nine miles high. I don't know if that could even happen, actually. But I'm sure it was impressive to look at. And what does it say? Check this out. There's so much theology packed into this statement. Look at this. They said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower. It's top of the heavens, da 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 um, And then in verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men had built. Do you get that? Did you catch that? 
This is enormous. Let's just say it is nine miles high. This nine mile city, thousands of square feet, brilliant feat of architecture and engineering. And God was so impressed, he had to get down on his he had to get down on his hands and knees and put his glasses on to see the thing. Because God is sovereign and he's transcendent. That's meant as a theological statement. God was not impressed with the city. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah 40, he sits above the circle of the earth and his inhabitants are like grasshoppers to him. It's like ants. It's like, oh, cute. Oh, that's cute. That's what the little humans are doing down there. They're shaking their fist at God. They're building a little city. It's like they, they suck helium, you know? Hey, God, we're going to do this for ourselves. And God, he laughs. Psalm chapter 2 says that. God laughs. He sits in the heavens and he laughs. But I don't want to give you the wrong impression about God, how he responds to sin. You know what God could have done? i got to confess something to you. When Sarah and I lived in Holly Hill, our first house, we had a neighbor that was a Floridian. And these huge, enormous-looking grasshoppers. They look like locusts to me. There was a special name for them. Pops, you can probably tell me what it is. They were, yeah, they were beautiful. They were colored, but they were enormous. And there were hundreds of them in my yard. And she came over, this older lady, and she said, I want to show you all something. And she walked up and went, splat, and stepped on this thing. And juice and guts squirted out everywhere. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. We're about to eat and I said, what are you doing? And she said, if you don't kill those things, they'll multiply and destroy your lawn. And I thought, I've always thought of this. God sits above the circle of the earth. The inhabitants are like grasshoppers. What could he do? He could do what that older lady did to those locusts that annoyed her and bothered her and were a threat to her beautiful lawn. What did God do to this Tower of Babel? You know what God could have done? Easily. And he would have done them no injustice. He could have squashed them flat. But what did God do? God went down. He went down and he dispersed them. Now, a lot of people refer to this as judgment, and it was. But God didn't destroy them. In fact, listen to his concern. Check this out. Listen to what he says. The Lord came to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confound their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So this is not God saying, oh, oh my goodness, we better go down, Trinity, and stop this. Or they're going to threaten heaven itself. No, this is God's not saying there's no, there's no limit to, to the heights that they may transcend. He's saying there's no limit to the depths of sin that they may end up wallowing in if we don't go and stop this. This is judgment, but... As we all know, it's true of God. God is a Savior by nature. This is an act of mercy. What an unspeakable act of condescension for God to come down and interrupt our plans. Isn't that your salvation testimony? You were building your life without God. God looked down and looked at His Son and looked at the Holy Spirit. He said, let's regenerate them. Let's go and interrupt their life. Let's stop their plans. Let's show them that, that there's a better way. That Jesus is better than this. This tiny, cutie, little, rebellious city that they're going to build and they think it's going to make them happy, and it's not. Haven't we all, haven't we all tasted of our towers of Babel when we tried to erect them and seen? They leave us dry, frustrated, empty, and defeated. And God knows that, and He loves us. So God interrupted their godless unity, their godless ambition. And listen, godless worship, that's the last point. You know what a tower, this would have been about, uh, around the... Uh, the Mesopotamian culture where they built the ziggurats. Not ziggurats. <laughs> ziggurats. They were like peak towers. And, and Babel means two things. You can change one letter 
they meant a gateway to God. Their city was a gateway to God. Their tower was supposed to impress these deities. They were going to look down and say, wow, these people have it together. Let's go bless them. But God changed it to confusion. Um, because listen, God is not impressed with this. He's not impressed with us. God didn't look down and be impressed by this. God, God was saddened by this. This broke God's heart. Um, so the way to get God's attention, to what, the way to have a gateway to God is not to try and impress Him and climb up a mountain. In fact, one guy, I wrote this quote down. This is so good. He said, the fact that God came down, came down while we're struggling up shows us the futility of the Bible project. Why? Because God's not there. You want to impress God? You want to build this life and impress God and get His attention? God's not there. If you want to climb upward for God, the only hill to climb is Calvary. I think he's telling me time's up, Pop. <laughs> so God expresses concern. He brings their plans to a halt, and God says, Look, if it's a name you're wanting, if glory is what you're after, if you want security, you want an identity, uh, you want invincibility, how about this? How about you trust my son? He'll give you a name above every name. Well, that's for Jesus. Sorry. He'll give you a name nobody else knows. That's what the book of Revelation says. Right on, written on his crosses. White stone, right? He will give you a name that nobody else knows. He'll give you an identity. He'll give you immortality and invincibility. That's a pretty good trade, isn't it? And the Bible says God's not against cities. God's going to build a city one day. If you want to be a part of his city, you trust in his cross. You trust in his son Jesus because this city isn't built up from earth reaching to heaven. This city actually comes down from heaven to earth. It's the new holy Jerusalem. And look, one day this, this is a great text to preach in here. One day this is going to be nothing. We'll have unity. We'll have a city that's going to blow our ever-loving minds. How about that? Christ is building that place for us right now. It took him six days to create the earth. But he's been working on on heaven for us for how many years now? Over 2,000? I can't wait to see it. That's going to be a city to behold and to be a part of. And if you want to be a citizen in that city, you'll work for it. Christ already did all the work for us. All we do is we trust in his finished work. And we are promised all the things that we're seeking to squeeze out of this life. That's the beauty uh, and the glory of being a child of God. There's a better way. There's a better way than these builders at, at the Tower of Babel were working towards. Um, and what's really sad, the irony, and I'll close with this, they wanted a great name, but when you hear the word Babel, what do you think? That's a shameful thing, isn't it? You're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's like a monument to man's failure and impotence and rebellion. Babel is, the Tower of Babel. They wanted a great name, they got a shameful name. They wanted organization, but what ended up happening? Chaos. Can you imagine trying to work with people? I've been in construction for a lot of my life. It's hard enough to understand one another without having different languages, right? They wanted organization, they get chaos, and they wanted to gather together and what ended up happening, their greatest fear. They were scattered throughout all the earth. But one day, and it's interesting, because I think the day of Pentecost is a little glimpse into all these people that were spread abroad and God brought them back at the beginning of the kingdom of God, right? And they all understood one another supernaturally because of the power of the Holy Spirit, right? There was organization, there was unity, there was ambition. They're going to build God's kingdom with them throughout the whole earth. And there was true worship there. And we can have that in Jesus Christ. And that is the shortest sermon I've ever preached in my life. <laughs>